Uh, let me uh, uh, introduce to you our brother, uh, fellow pastor Kenneth Jones. Uh, you stay there. Don't get up. Stay there. So just a second. He's anxious to get. I know what that's like, man. I, please, I just want to preach, man. Come on. Let me get in there. Uh, Kenneth Jones is uh, his wife, Melissa Jones, is here as well. They live in Brooklyn where they have planted a church, Redeemer City Church uh, in Brooklyn. That's sort of northeast uh, uh, D.C., so close to Catholic University, that area. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. If you know anybody that is living in and around that area looking for a church, send them there to Redeemer City. If you're visiting this week and you live there, don't come back here next week. Go there. Go to their church, Redeemer City. Kenneth Jones is a faithful brother in Christ. We have a gathering once a month in our office where we gather all the church planters, well, the church planters that we know, oftentimes they're Baptistic, uh, into our uh, office and uh, once a month. And we just pray for each other, read books together, uh, learn about various questions they have and try to help each other. Kenneth has been part of that since the very beginning. He is a deep, deep, deep lover of Jesus. That's the most important thing you need to know about him. And he's a dear friend and a great brother in Christ. So brother, come and preach to us God's word. Well, thank you, brother. That was a great introduction. Um, as Nathan said, my name is uh, Kenneth Jones, and I have the pleasure of pastoring Redeemer City Church in Brookland in Washington, D.C. And y'all, let me just first of all say what a um, privilege and a pleasure it is to be here um, as Nathan was saying, uh, we've been a part of a, of a group that gathers monthly, uh, for about the last four years. I've been a part of it. And, and let me just say that, um, it's been a blessing to me. And honestly, Nathan and Joey, um, have served as my pastors in this city oftentimes. And I just want to let you all know that you have tremendous pastors. Tremendous pastors that, like Nathan said, that love Jesus. And because of their love for Jesus, they love you. Y'all, praise Jesus for your pastors. Um, they love you. Um, not only are they, have they been great pastors to me, um, but they've also been great friends. Um, love these guys, Nathan, Joey. Uh, we always joke that, like, Joey, if you have been at this church for very long, you know that Joey's got systems down like nobody's business, right? Those that are laughing know what I'm talking about. So we've wanted, we've tried to run, like, a hard line from their office to our spot, so I can like download all of the all, all of the stuff. We haven't figured that out quite yet. Um, and and Nathan, man, early on we realized that we're both like brothers, not just in Christ, but we love the Cardinals. Um, <laughs> so we're actually going to a game uh, tomorrow together uh, to see the Cardinals. And and Joey will often say like I gave Nathan a gift, a Cardinals gift today. And Joey's always like, "There's the idolatry." Joey will compare it to <laughs> idolatry. And he's like, man, you're crossing the line. He's like, you're actually very far over the line. And that, and that, like, debate will probably rage on for the rest of our lives until we get to eternity and Joey sees that Jesus is wearing a Cardinals hat. So, <laughs> so it'll be an awesome, awesome time when we, when we get there. Um, well, hey, let me, uh, all kidding aside, um, we're going to be in, uh, Psalm 100 today. So I'd love for you to, uh, turn there with me. <clears throat> And what I'm going to do is I'll read the passage and then we'll pray and then we will uh, jump in. <clears throat> Again, this is Psalm 100. And this is the word of the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Great God and Father, You are holy, steadfast, sovereign, righteous, good, just, merciful, and gracious. It is a privilege to call you Father. Father, we come before you this morning with humble hearts. We ask that you would speak clearly to us through your word. Father, I ask that I would simply be a mouthpiece, a message from you to your people. Father, we pray that I would simply move out of the way and that you would reign in this house today. That you would reign in this house and that you would reign in our hearts. Father, we pray that you would convict where necessary and that you would comfort where necessary. Pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be present. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you're anything like me, you probably have a bit of a hard time with authority figures in your life, right? It's just been a constant theme throughout my life. I can tell you that much, right? When I was a child, I constantly rebelled against what my parents would say and tell me to do or not do. I specifically remember this uh, one time when my mom blatantly told me not to do this really crazy, stupid thing that all the other kids were doing in our neighborhood. But of course, I didn't listen. So here's the thing that we were doing. Right? I lived on a street, it's called Andrea Drive in Richboro, Pennsylvania. And where my house was, it was pretty flat where the street is, right? But it would, it would kind of raise up to a hill at the top of the street at the end. And so, you know, being crazy teenage or boys, right? Like we would, what we'd do is we had, this was back in the 80s, y'all. So we had those, like, you know, the four, actual four-wheeled roller skates that were kind of side by side, right? I loved to roller skate. And what we would do is we'd take like a rope and we'd tie it to the back of a bike. And a friend, y'all, some of you already see where this is going. A, fr- a friend of ours would get on the bike, right, and they would kind of take off and tear down the hill. It was kind of like, um, like water skiing on roller skates, right? And it was awesome. And so I got on this, I got on this, on my roller skates and tied this rope to the bike, and my friend just took off down the hill. And y'all, to this day, I still don't know why, but at the bottom of the hill, he just slammed on the brakes. And for four seconds, it looked so cool. I just took, I was flying, y'all, like, like Superman. For four seconds, it looked awesome. And then kryptonite and gravity took a hold, and I came crashing down to earth. And you know, I, I scraped up my stomach and my chest, and there were like little pebbles all throughout. Right? And my mom was kind of like, I told you so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but 
But like that type of like apprehension and rebellion toward my parents, toward authority figures, has shown up throughout the course of my life, right? With teachers, with bosses that I've had. I'd imagine that there's a little bit of that in each and every one of us. Right? It has a lot to do with how we became a country, right? Right? We didn't like the way the kings and the authorities in England were treating the people, so our nation's forefathers rebelled and formed this country. And now we have this democratic system partly in an attempt to resolve the animosity between people and the government. But we see time and time again that has not been the case. There is still animosity and rebellion toward governments and presidents. We always wonder or flat out don't believe that they have our best interests in mind, oftentimes for good reason. We always wonder Do they really have our best interests in mind? But here's the thing, y'all. Here's the thing. I think that that dynamic, right, that rebellion against authority often plays out in our relationship with God. We are so used to a democratic society and a democratic system that it's hard for us to recognize that the kingdom of God is a monarchy, not a democracy. We are perfectly happy to let Jesus be our Savior, but if we're honest, we are hesitant and downright resistant to allow him to be our Lord and our King. We read what it says in his word, the Bible, and we wonder if he really has our best interests in mind when it comes to our finances, our relationships, our morality, our sex life. We read his word and we hear him say, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. We hear him say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We hear him say, whoever seeks to save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We hear him say things like this and we begin to rationalize. Surely, He didn't really mean that. We hear things like that and we begin to think of God like our governments, our kings, and our presidents. We begin to wonder if he really has our best interests in mind. So here's the question for the the day, church. Despite everything that we've experienced in our lives from authority figures, whether parents or bosses or presidents, despite everything that we've experienced in our lives from human authority figures, have we finally, finally found an authority figure, a king who is trustworthy, who is worthy to be followed, who is worthy to be praised? So with that question as our backdrop, let's jump into our text in Psalm 100. And here's what you need to know about the Psalms before we jump in, right? The Psalms are like an old Hebrew song or poems, right? So there's often a lot of great wordplay or illustration or allusion in them. And furthermore, this particular Psalm, Psalm 100, is the last in a collection starting with Psalm 93 that speaks to the divine kingship of God. So here's how the psalmist begins in verse 1 and 2. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. 
And what we get at the beginning of this psalm is a picture, this beautiful picture, a wordplay of people greeting and gathering a great and triumphant king coming from the battlefield. Right, you've seen, if you've seen movies, right, the movies that are set in medieval times or times long gone by, you've seen these scenes, right, before, depicting these people gathering around their great conquering king, cheering, clapping their conquering king. And so our psalmist sets our scene by painting a picture of a good, great, and glorious king. And now the psalmist will show us why he is and why we can trust him. Verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist starts by noting that we need to recognize his authority and his power. Know that the Lord, he is God. Know and understand that He is God and God alone, that there is none like Him in all the earth. Know that He is the God of all creation. Know that in the beginning, God. Know that He has such dominion and power that He spoke and the world was created. He spoke and the stars were placed in the sky. He spoke and vegetation grew. He spoke, y'all, and a blazing ball of fire that heats the entire solar system appeared. He spoke and human beings, men and women, you and me, were created. As it says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein For he formed it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Know that the Lord, he is God. Know that he is powerful and sovereign over everything that happens in your life. Do you find it easy to forget that he is God? In the midst of the chaos of this world and this life, is it easy for you to forget that He is in complete control? That He has authority over the earth and everything in it. Then I love what the psalmist says here next in verse 3. And I love this. He says, speaking of God, it says, it is He who made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture." Y'all, you don't know me, but I'm an English major. And so I love the precision of words. And what you see, you see the word his three times in this passage. It says we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. The word his in this passage is a possessive pronoun, which connotes ownership, connotes possession, In Christ, you are His. He is your owner. He is your Lord. He is your King. And as your King, as the one who owns you, this means two things here. Number one, He has the right to place laws and boundaries upon you. And number two, He has the responsibility to care and provide for you. 
He has the right to place laws and boundaries upon you. And he has the responsibility to care and provide for you. So here's the picture, y'all, for y'all you that are dog, dog lovers here. It's a story from my childhood. Here's the picture. And the next time you're tempted to step outside of God's boundaries for you, I want you to remember this. When I was uh, growing up, we had a dog. Her name was Benji, really cute dog, a uh, toy collie, something like that. Um, really, really beautiful dog. But unfortunately, when we wanted to put, uh, let Benji go outside, we would tie her to the basketball pole in like our side backyard, right? But we also had a neighbor, I lived just a couple doors down, who also had a dog, and around his yard, he put up a really big fence around his yard. And so many times our family would go over to the neighbor's house and, and we'd just look outside and the dog, you know, you've seen this, the dog would be running around just playing, having a great time in the backyard, running and playing. But other times, right, and you've seen this too, right, the dog was just scratching and clawing at the fence as if he wanted to get out. And so one day my mom saw this and asked the neighbor, she said, why do you have a fence in your backyard? And listen, you know, listen to how the neighbor answered to that question looking out at the backyard, looking at the dog. He said, I have a fence because the dog is mine. Because he's my dog, I want to provide him with the ultimate freedom of running around in the backyard. But I also want to put up a boundary to keep him from running away because he is prone to do so. He says, I put up a fence because I want him to have ultimate freedom to run around and enjoy the backyard. But I also want to put up boundaries to keep him from running away because he's prone to do so. The fence was there to provide ultimate freedom and ultimate protection because the dog is his. And so it is with God's word, with God's law. It is like the fence that our neighbor put up for his dog. God's word, God's boundaries, God's commands are there to provide you with ultimate freedom and ultimate protection because you are his. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. God has the right to place laws and boundaries upon you, and he has the responsibility to care and provide for you. He is a good, great, and glorious king. So to continue the picture of being that dog in the fence or in the gates, right? verse 4 shows us why we should be thankful for being there. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. This even gives the sense of entering into the presence of the king and entering his courts. But listen, y'all, to the Old Testament reader of this psalm, this would almost seem like heresy. But it would be unheard of for someone to enter into the presence of God, into the presence of the king. You see, in the Old Testament, the Jews, the people of God, they worshiped God at the temple in Jerusalem. Right? The Ark of the Covenant and the Spirit of God resided in an area of the temple known as the Most Holy Place. 
You know, and there was a large, large curtain or a veil about 60 feet high and 30 feet wide that separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. Only one time each year was someone allowed to go behind the veil, behind the curtain. And that was when the high priest would make the yearly atoning sacrifice for the people. And before he could do that, he had to go through a ritual purification and consecration process. You see, the curtain was there to signify the separation between a holy, righteous God and sinful people. So for the Old Testament reader, there would be rightful thanksgiving for being in any court of the temple to worship God. But to think of entering his courts and his gates would be unheard of. So now before we get to what Jesus did to rectify that situation, let's first talk about what qualifies Jesus to do so. If you have the ability, turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And y'all, this is just amazing. Read your Bibles. Like Nathan was saying earlier, when you go home, read your Bibles. It is so amazing. Here's what we find in Luke, I mean, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John. This is John the Baptist. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Y'all, this is such a significant moment in the earthly ministry of Jesus, and it is also a very subtle one. You see, like John the Baptist, you and I need to be asking the question, why would Jesus need to be baptized? Right? We know from the accounts that John was baptizing, baptizing for the forgiveness of sins and for the preparation of the coming Christ. So why would Jesus need to be baptized, right? He was without sin, right? John the Baptist asked the same question. And Jesus answers by saying, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And at this moment, y'all, the Scriptures really open up to see something amazing. In Luke 24, Jesus says that all Scripture is about Him. And in this moment, in this baptism, John the Baptist becomes the next great prophet in the line of Samuel. Samuel is the Old Testament prophet who anoints the first two kings of Israel. He anoints Saul. He anoints David. We see the picture of God's prophet anointing a king over his people. And God's promise to David is that he will one day raise up a king from among his lineage to preside over his people forevermore. And what you see throughout the rest of the Old Testament is flawed and failed king after flawed and failed king 
after flawed and failed king. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people are left wondering, when will this promised king step onto the scene to preside over us? And then you turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And just three chapters in, you have this monumental scene with Jesus being anointed by a prophet of God. It is in this extraordinary moment that Jesus is literally anointed and crowned king. And the heavens open. And the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus and the Father says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. What a beautiful picture of Jesus being crowned and anointed as a good, great, and glorious King. Then in Matthew 4, the Scriptures say that He is immediately immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. So Jesus, as our righteous king and priest, is sent by the Spirit to be consecrated and to display his purity by overcoming the temptations of Satan and living a sinless life. And this leads us to the cross and the crucifixion of Christ. Where right after Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross, right after he gives up the Spirit, the moment that Jesus died, this is what is recorded in Matthew 27. Getting back to this curtain and the veil. It says, And behold, the moment that Jesus dies, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. From top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks split. Jesus was anointed to be your king. He was consecrated to be your priest. And he was sacrificed that his blood might tear the curtain from top to bottom. The curtain that was meant to signify the divide between a holy, righteous God and sinful people. The curtain that was meant to keep sinful people like you and me away from approaching a holy, righteous God and King. Your great and glorious King is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your trust. He laid down His life so that you might have access and fellowship with a holy, righteous God. Here's how the writer of Hebrews says it in Hebrews Chapter 10, verse 19. He says, We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body. Church, you have a king who humbled himself in baptism for you, not needing baptism for the repentance of sins, but humbling himself that he might be anointed your king. A king who before he ever asked or commanded you to do anything for him or his kingdom, consecrated himself, lived a perfect life that was without sin, and laid down that life to tear down the curtain that divided you from a holy, righteous God so that you might be worthy to enter His gates. Enter His gates, the psalmist says. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Verse 
give thanks to Him and bless His name. The same mighty King who has the power to speak the world into existence also says, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He is a good, great, and gracious King. So now that we've entered His gates and seen that our King is trustworthy, that His decrees are for our freedom, for our protection, and for our provision, that our King willingly laid down His life so that we might enter His gates, verse 5 shows us that we can rest in His gates knowing that He will sustain us and carry us through to the end. It says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. His steadfast love endures forever. Or you could say His mercy or His loving kindness endures forever. Like the dog in that fence, you are His, and He will be faithful forever. Now, as your King, He may lead you into battle. He may lead you into warfare. He may lead you into seasons of darkness. Seasons when it seems like the wild beasts are all around you. Seasons when it feels like you cannot possibly bear the strain. Seasons that feel incredibly confusing and hard to navigate. As your king, he may lead you into the wilderness because he has the authority to do so. But as your king, he also has the knowledge and the power to lead you through it. Remember that when he was anointed as king, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness to face a season of trial and despair, to face the wild beast, to feel the pangs of hunger and need, to stare down the temptations and the attacks of Satan and overcome. Listen, your great King will not lead you to a place that He has not already been Himself. Let me say that again because nobody said Amen. Your great king will not lead you to a place that he has not already been himself. Thank you. (laughs) So in the midst of seasons that seem too hard to bear, in the midst of darkness and despair, when it seems like the wild beasts are threatening all around you, when you feel the pangs of hunger and need and want, in the midst of times that seem incredibly confusing and hard to navigate, you can trust your great King. Because He's been there. He knows the way and He has overcome. And one day, one day He will ultimately lead you in the way everlasting. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 10. Verse 27. Y'all, this is so amazing. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I will give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them from my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Yo, is that powerful or what? The same God and King who has the power to speak the world into existence says, listen, I love you. I humbled myself in baptism for you. I walked through the trials of the wilderness for you. I faced down the temptations of Satan for you. I laid down my perfect life for you. I rose from the grave and conquered death for you. I am your king. And nothing and no one will ever, ever take you out of my hands. You are mine. Church, you have a good, great, glorious, and triumphant King in Jesus. The King that you can trust is worthy of your praise and thanksgiving. You have no need to seek the rule or the authority or the favor of another. No need to have apprehension on approaching your great king. As members of the kingdom of God, we live in a monarchy, not a democracy, and that is a good thing. See, last year, Melissa, my wife, and I, um, we went to England, and when we were there, we visited Buckingham Palace, which is where the queen of England resides. And while we were there, um, we learned that when the queen is not there, the flag doesn't fly over the palace. But when she is there, the flag flies high over Buckingham Palace. You see, there's still a strong sense of national pride and security in knowing that she is there. For the people of England, when the flag is flying, the people can be assured that the queen is on her throne. Listen, church, it is not a flag that we fly, but a grave that is empty that gives us assurance that our great God and King is always and forever sitting on His throne. Ruling and reigning from on high, sovereignly presiding over everything that happens in our lives, never losing sight of His subjects, the sheep of His pasture. You have a good, great, glorious king. There's a line in a book by A.W. Tozer called The Knowledge of the Holy that I love, and I think it's very appropriate to quote here. It says, With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely, we are the most favored of all creatures. With the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely, 
we are the most favored of all creatures. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you trust your good, great, and glorious King? Let us rest in His mercy. Let us walk in a spirit of power and not in a spirit of fear. Let us approach Him confidently based on the blood of Christ. Let us adhere to His word, knowing that He has the right to place laws and boundaries upon us and the responsibility to care and provide for us. Let us rejoice that we live in a monarchy and not a democracy. Let us trust in the power and authority of our good, great, and glorious King. Let's pray. Father, I confess that at times I'm lost for words. There are no words that can describe your glory. You are a good king. You are a good king. Father, I pray that you would give us the strength to live in light of that truth. Father, that we not, would not look at our relationship with you like the relationships we have with other authority figures in our life. Father, I pray that as your people we would trust your word we would trust your righteous acts on our behalf. That we would experience your freedom and your protection by following your decrees. That we would be a people that express the joy of living in your kingdom to a world who desperately needs to see a different kingdom. We ask all of these things in your precious name. Amen.